This year, the Wellness Summit returns. 95% of the people you know out there want you to play it safe. They don't want you to jump over fire. You can get burned. They don't want you to live the life that you were born to live. You've got to remember that if you're cooking food, you want to love it. You don't want to be thinking, oh, I don't want to have to prepare another meal for my husband who doesn't appreciate it. I don't have to prepare another meal for my wife who just doesn't care. She just wants peanut butter on toast. Wake the heck up. You are where you're at right here, right now, because of all the choices you have made up to this point. Now, I didn't know what to do with being blown up. I didn't know what to do with that until the psychologist told me, you're going to have post-traumatic stress disorder, Karen. I went, okay, great. Now, at least I know what to do with that. Get ready, Melbourne. The summit is back. Well, other people are just walking through fire. I mean, look, look, look at it. And I'm on the phone going, yeah, and he's like, I mean, look, like this. And then he's lifted up his top and he's squeezing that, and I'm going, yeah, I can't even. We're doing masking. There's something there that you want that you haven't been doing for yourself. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. All info and tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to a place of wellness and healing for both your body and mind. Get ready to live a happy, healthy, whole food life that totally rocks. You're listening to Shiny Healthy You, the straight-talking natural health show for busy women with your host and naturopath, Jules Galloway. Today's episode comes with a friendly warning. You have got about 10, 20 seconds to turn this off if you've got some kids in the car or if you're listening to this in public because we're going to be talking rather candidly about all things sexual health and vaginas. Woohoo! All right. Welcome to the first episode in what is going to become a three-part vag series. That's right. We will be discussing all things healthy hoo-hahs. You will find out what's normal, what's not normal, and how to improve the health of your lady parts. Now, just to set the scene here, my office is actually at the front of my house and right across the road, an army of tradies have decided that today is the day to install solar panels on the house across the way. And it seems that in order to do that, they need to play some very loud tradie music at full blast. So ironically today, I've had to relocate to, you guessed it, the bedroom. The irony, yeah? (laughs) Anyway, without further ado, meet my first badge series guest. She's a naturopath and I discovered her online in a group that she runs called Intimate Ecology. She's the go-to practitioner when wanting to learn more about the vaginal microbiome. Whether it's thrush, bacterial overgrowth, or any other infections down there, she's across all of it and is going to help us navigate this often hush-hush topic. And don't worry, I'm going to be asking all the embarrassing questions so that you don't have to. Please welcome to the show the awesome Moira Bradfield. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. What a great (laughs) intro. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to be getting, you know, deep into this topic. Oh, that was a bad pun. Sorry, listeners. Um, this is something that doesn't get talked about enough in podcasts online. It's really hard to find information out there. So I'm so excited that someone is really getting stuck into this topic for a change. Yay, go you. 
Yeah, thank you. That's what I found as well. It's just so taboo and it doesn't need to be because people aren't getting the help they need because they're not they're too afraid to talk about it. <sighs> I know, right? So how how come you took the leap? Like how did you come to be niched as a vagina expert? Like how were you the one who went, you know what, I'm going to tackle this? Um, gosh, it, it was probably a number of things. And to show you just the contrast of where I've come from, I was working in a naturopathic practice that specialized in degenerative eye disease and um (laughs) and I have I have a general practice as well and I was seeing I had a run of females where there was recurrent infections vaginal infections and I found that the the tools that I had learned through my university degree were not enough to deal with that and that I found I didn't know what I needed to know so that started me researching and from my research I found that there is a lot of information out there. I'm not the only person who's interested in this topic but the issue is that the science doesn't necessarily translate into information to practitioners and then it doesn't translate obviously to clients and to patients. So um, I sort of dove in and I must say too when you're talking about vagina, the, the um, you know, the you'll use a lot of literary inappropriateness. <laughs> I know, right? I've already dropped one and I didn't even mean to. I was like, no, there will be no puns today. And then they, yeah. they're just everywhere, aren't they? They're everywhere, even <laughs> unintentionally. Um, so, you know, I, I dove in as well. And then I found, you know, I'm a couple of years down the line and it's the more I read, the more I find out. And the research is really exploding because we now have the ability to look really closely at microbes and microbiomes in all sites in the body. And so a lot of the information that we once knew is now being refined and actually challenged as well. Yeah. And you were mentioning just before we came on the podcast too, that you've got a sister that's a sexologist. Is that correct? So is, is there something going on in your family where people are just a bit more open at talking about stuff that prepared you for this line of work? Uh, Possibly. I mean, we have a, a really wonderful matriarch um, and I'm one of three sisters, so it was never something, I guess, that was hidden in our family. And I, I guess to, through the exposure of having uh, my sister who's in that industry, it became a lot more commonplace to have those sort of discussions around the dinner table. Um, so <laughs> she's part of my interest as well in that area because it certainly helps me to go off in tangents and, and get feedback as well about a lot of the, um, you know, just the emotional and psychological side of vaginal health, which is really important in a holistic setting. Yeah, yeah. I, I was to be a guest at that dinner table. That sounds awesome. Okay, so what is the vaginal microbiome and why is it such an important thing to be looking at? So the vaginal microbiome is essentially the bacteria and the microbes that exist within the vagina. And the vagina is the internal anatomy, the tube essentially that runs from the vulva and um, the labia up to the cervix. So within that area, we're looking at a whole lot of different bacterias and funguses, but also viruses and how they interact to keep that environment hopefully healthy. Um, So there's a whole range of different bacteria that we're aware of that exist in there that are meant to be there. So they're bacteria that give us as humans some benefit and their benefit is they're part of the immune defence 
in that area because you can imagine um, as a piece of anatomy it comes in contact a lot of, uh, with things that are coming in from the outside so notably penises um, and and they have the ability to introduce pathogens or things that are not necessarily that great for the environment so we have to have a whole array of mechanisms in there that can help protect us so that infection can't get into the body and up higher yeah and that's the where the research is going late you know has been going lately that so many of the different parts of our body have got their own microbiome. So the skin's got a microbiome, the digestive system's got a microbiome. Like the, so now we're talking about another area of the body that's got the microbiome. Uh, how, how can you tell whether yours is healthy or not? Um, generally, well, that's a really great question that a lot of the newer research is actually challenging. But for uh, me as a clinician, you know, certainly there's a whole array of different things. And the most obvious is um, symptoms like discharge or itch or irritation. Um, and then when we're looking at those things, you know, the characteristics of them, so the colour of the discharge and the smell of the discharge, the amount of the discharge is really important. But there's also a whole range of things that we wouldn't necessarily traditionally associate with um, vaginal health, and they can include things like the ability to carry a child to full term in pregnancy um, or, uh, you know, even to fall pregnant. So there's a whole lot of new research looking at the vaginal microbiome in fertility and in IVF and how you may be able to improve chances in those areas as well by optimising this really important part of our bodies. So, you know, certainly, you know, the straightforward stuff is the infective stuff um, when we see really obvious bacterial or parasitic imbalances within the vagina, but then it can go on into other areas of health, which are quite subtle as well. Yeah, right. So what are the things that lower the defences that can upset the microbiome? I can think of a couple like there's, you know, the the oral contraceptive pill comes to mind um antibiotics are you know they're they're an easy one to think of uh what are some other things that can upset the balance in there so there's a whole range of factors and some um where depending on what bacteria you've already got there will strengthen the defense and some will um, weaken it so you mentioned the oral contraceptive pill which definitely in terms of thrush with which is candida a, a fungus that can put you more at risk but in terms of another type of infection in the vagina bacterial vaginosis which is actually more common than thrush the oral contraceptive pill particularly if it's estrogen containing is protective um, so you know you have these really interesting things that you need to look for uh, we also know that when we're looking at the vagina and things that will interrupt it sex is actually a big one and again, as a society, as a Western society, we're not that good at talking about that. So it's possibly one of those things that if you are visiting your doctor and, you know, you've got quite recurrent issues in your vagina that they're not necessarily screening you for what type of sex you're engaging in and what type of lubricants you might be using because they're all things that can disrupt it. So, for example, lubricants have to have really um, good, good pH and good uh, osmolarity so these are things that can change the environment to actually not affect the microbes in your vagina yeah. um, and I, obviously a lot of people aren't aware of that or if you are participating in um, oral sex uh, with males or with females that can be disruptive to the vaginal microbiome or if there's any sort of digital or finger penetration um, you know that can influence that area as well so there's this whole you know 
thing that we obviously are not talking about that needs to be considered because we're just a bit prudish, I think. <laughs> um, I think so. Well, so. <laughs> no one wants to be the first person to bring it up. I think once you open the floodgates, like you get a lot of people wanting to talk about it, but no one wants to be the guy who puts their hand up and goes, hey, I've got this thing down here. Is this normal? Definitely. And, and I think there's a big fear um, when there are symptoms down there that they're because you have an SDI or that they're sexually transmitted when the reality is that the most common things that go wrong in the vagina are not sexually transmitted infections but sex can play a role in disturbing the environment so it's still worth talking about that with um, people and that you know I guess I've been doing this long enough now that things don't surprise me but it's quite interesting when you talk to people that you know their own personal SDI history and the incidence of things like chlamydia and gonorrhea are actually quite high in our um, community and and they're things that are not talked about but they're relevant when you look at how someone may have recovered or what sort of intervention they mentioned antibiotics they had um, you know because that will influence how they go on to have ongoing vaginal health in that area because you may have disrupted a microbe that needs to be there to maintain the health in that environment. Yeah, and I, I think you've you've touched on an interesting topic there because there's a lot of shame around, you know, putting your hand up and talking about your sexual history and what you may have picked up along the way. So yeah, it's I it's it's it is definitely a taboo thing still and it's, I haven't seen it get any better over the last couple of decades, but I would have thought we'd be further advanced by now. Yeah, I mean, I think there has been a, a, an explosion of liberation, but on on mass, it's still a taboo, and, and you know the way the media can affect that and perpetuate that is quite concerning as well. Um, so you know, it sort of it needs to be discussed and screened for, and it's just not. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask some embarrassing questions so that our dear listeners don't have to. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Discharges. What's normal and what's not? It's a really great question because you are meant to have a discharge and the discharge is meant to change over the course of a menstrual cycle or even postmenopausally. There may be some mild discharge. Um, so normal <laughs> can differ from person to person. Generally, we see a discharge that changes from being maybe um, straight after a period, might be a little bit watery but not excessive, moving through to being a little bit white. Um, and then around ovulation, most people are, maybe are aware that ovulate, um, ovulatory discharge is stickier and clearer and, you know, sort of you can move it between your fingers. Um, and then it should taper off in the latter part of the cycle before menstrual bleed again. Yeah. So that would constitute a normal discharge. There is a colour variance as well that it's quite possible that a small amount of yellowing is still normal, particularly if you're viewing the discharge as being dry on underpants um, or a little bit chalky. That's quite normal as well. When we start seeing um, abnormal, we would question if there's a change in that, if you suddenly have uh, more discharge and it's more watery or more profuse or if there's uh, a lot of colour associated with it or it moves into greens for example, or it's quite frothy. Um, those are things to look for. Um, and also associated symptoms. So, for example, if we look at the discharge of thrush, um, which is quite chunky and white, so cottage cheese is the descriptor that's used a lot of the time for that, we would see a lot of itching and redness as well around the external genitalia. Um, so that's quite common to see that go together. 
whereas bacterial vaginosis, which is the, the opposite side, um, that's a, a lot of discharge that's quite thin and watery and greyish in colour, um, has a mild fishy odour, but not necessarily any of the itch that you would see with thrush. Yep. Do you think a lot of cases of bacterial infections are actually mistaken for thrush and people just run out and buy canestin? Definitely, and that's part of the issue is that, I mean, it's great that we have things we can access over the counter, um, but if it's something that you are using continuously, it's worth going to see somebody to have that looked at to take a swab because self-diagnosis of any vaginal discharge um, as thrush is not necessarily correct and you can you can go get the oral you can get the vaginal um, pessary insertion of the creams or the capsules and you're probably you know not treating actually what's going on there so if it is bacterial vaginosis that treatment is not going to be effective for it but one of the things it will do is actually kind of change the environment and affect other microbes that are actually there working for you in the health sense yeah right so it really pays to go and get you know, would you say, I mean, we're naturopaths, but would you say go and see a GP and get a swab? I would say go and get a GP and get a swab, um, particularly if it's something that keeps happening. Like if you use the treatment and it's the once off and it works, that's probably what it was. But if this is something, I mean, I have clients that every month experience discharge or every couple of weeks experience discharge. Um, that is when we need to have it identified uh, and, you know, dealt with as well. And if the discharge is coloured, for example, that needs to be looked at. If um, you know there are other symptoms associated with it that you might be a bit worried about, blood, for example, that's outside of menstruation, um, or if there's any sort of other things that you're really worried about in terms of pain, inflammation in your abdomen or fevers, then those are things that you should be going and seeing a medical professional about. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. All right, next embarrassing question. You mentioned that dreaded fishy smell. So what is it and what other smells are normal and not normal? Okay, so the dreaded fishy smell is actually a byproduct of the bacteria in the vagina. So, And some of the good bacteria have the ability to make that smell, but they should be crowded out by other good bacteria that can't. So it's um, a breakdown product essentially of a protein being acted on by an enzyme they're called biogenic amines when they're produced. And the fishy smell is characteristic in terms of diagnosis of two of the major infections that we would see clinically. One is bacterial vaginosis, so that's the really common one um, and has a really high reoccurrence and quite easily dealt with. And the other one is actually a um, parasite or a protozoa infection called trichomoniasis. Clinically, even though they both have a fishy smell, uh, one has symptoms that is there's a much coloured, more coloured discharge, so it's much greener and quite frothy, and that's the um, parasitic infection, and that certainly needs to be identified and dealt with because it's very easy to pass on to other people through sex, and in fact, that's how people get it through sex. So, yeah, that odour, which is an amine odour. You know, if people sometimes will experience that after they've had sex, particularly if it's, um, you know, there's been ejaculation within the vagina. And again, it's the breakdown of those proteins in the semen, essentially. Um, but if it's something that persists, you should be looking at getting that addressed. Yeah. Can you catch these parasites and, and get these bacterial infections without being sexually active? Um, certainly the bacterial vaginosis and 
um, thrush, the candida, definitely, you know, that we can see these in non-sexually active um, minors and teenagers as well. So when they've looked at sampling, you know, those microbes exist because they're meant to be there. It's just the balance. So they're not sexually transmitted in the sense like an infection, whereas the trichomoniasis, the one I just mentioned, it is. Um, so BV and candida are not, again, that whole shame thing and being scared. It doesn't necessarily mean it's anything to do with sex. It can be a whole range of other things like blood sugar levels um, or the fact that you've had antibiotics uh, and that's wiped out beneficial microbes. You know, So those sort of things, uh, again, take the shame out of it and get it addressed <laughs> essentially. But, yeah, you can have them without having them sexually transmitted. Yeah, cool. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Now, I love being devil's advocate. I'm just rolling out the questions. This is so much fun. <laughs> now, okay, next next embarrassing question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What should we use to wash ourselves down there? Because there's so many products out there on the market and there's so many people that are just like, you know what? You just use water, no soap. Can you please yeah. explain? All right, I'm going to agree with those people. <laughs> I thought um, you might. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, water, and, and this is external genitalia, so um, that's what you should be using. In fact, there's you know, some interesting research in terms of the whole skin that if you don't want to disrupt the microbiome that exists on the skin and the pH mantle, then you should be using neutral washes and water. So personally, I know I don't use soap in the shower. It sounds disgusting. I wash my hair, but I don't use soap on my body. I don't think I smell. Um, maybe other people do. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's one of the things. Like this environment, when we look at the area of the external genitalia and then the vagina inside, um, they shouldn't be coming in contact with washes. They shouldn't be coming in contact with douches, which is another risk for imbalancing that particular micro environment is to go in there and flush out all the good bacteria and replace it. Um, there certainly are instances clinically where you may be prescribed a douche, but it shouldn't be something that you're doing yourself just to make a smell, self-smell perfumed and lovely, which is a lot of, of how those douches are marketed, you know, that females should smell a particular way and it should be feminine and it should be flowery and it should be amazing when really if you're... <laughs> If your environment. (laughs) Even when you're saying it, I'm just like that just now that you say it like that, it just sounds so wrong. Like your vagina is not a flower. Why would it smell like a flower? No, that's right. And, I mean, you know, the the vagina has a smell um, and it is associated with hormones and all those other things, but it should be, if anything, it's described as a slightly um, musky type smell. So it's more a pheromone-based smell and it shouldn't be offensive and... Um, you know, necessarily smelt by other people unless they're up close to you. Um, so, you know, maintaining that is about maintaining those microbes in, in their proper balance as well. So not doing things to disturb them um, that are radical, like washing them with soaps and douches. Mm. Yeah, you could be taking a situation and making it worse by the sounds of things. A whole lot worse, definitely. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I um, I don't know what it was that I was reading when I was doing some research for this series uh, I came across a an article that was it was along the lines of you know how paranoid women are about how things taste down there and I was like I'd never thought about it but it turns out that 
heaps of women have and they're really self-conscious about that stuff so yeah smells tastes all of that it's it's and then that, that leaves people you know especially with the smell like I guess that leaves people vulnerable to marketing if people are marketing these products that say that it's going to be nicer down there if you use this thing that costs you twenty dollars so yeah it's just all a bit wrong I thought it is a bit wrong and um, um, a lot of that comes from as well there's some interesting research some of it is Australian looking at um, the psychological aspects of people that have had recurrent infections and it does impact on their sex lives and it does um, lead into depression and insecurity um, about their relationships with their partners and and you know, a lot of that, again, is about that, you know, more intimate types of sex, not that sex isn't intimate, but things like oral sex um, and, and not being confident to let their partner actually perform that on them because of their perception of how they think they might smell, um, even if they've got an active infection or not. And so if you've had it once and then there's that perception of not letting somebody do that to them and then they might go and access some of those products and douche themselves and then, you know, cause more issues, obviously there's a higher chance that that will be the result of an act like that. It would be that you know, they may end up with symptoms the next day after they've had sex, for example, which is a really common pattern as well to see with people. Yeah, it's literally a vicious cycle. Definitely a vicious cycle. Yeah, boo, all those companies making dodgy products, boo. All right. Well, that's actually a great segue, and I know you touched upon this before. Best and worst lubricants to use, go. Um, okay, so best and worst <laughs> ones. Um, so there's, it's one of those things on my to-do list is to contact all of the lubricant companies in Australia and get their um parameters because we're looking at the pH which is a measure of acidity because the vaginal environment is actually meant to be acidic um, it's actually meant to be between 3.8 and 3.5 on a pH scale so you need a lubricant that's not going to shift that too much um, and those things are generally not the um, supermarket lubricants <laughs> and they're certainly not the ones that are fragranced or have amazing abilities to glow in the dark and do those other things <laughs> oh my god um <laughs> if someone's still so, making yeah. of course people are still making them of course they are oh, oh definitely yeah um so and and unfortunately some of the ones that are, are better that uh, have that data available they're not available in the shops they're actually available online um and then you need to take into consideration in terms of the lubricant choice what type of sex you're actually participating in and whether there are sex toys involved and whether there are um you know, safe sex barriers involved as well because you can actually change what type of lubricant is best. So the agreement in terms of effect on the balance of bacteria in the vagina is that uh, water-based or water-silicon hybrid lubricants or silicon-based lubricants are the best ones to go with. Um, Oil-based lubricants are not compatible with condoms and safe sex barriers because of the effect of the oil on the, um, on the condom itself. So it takes out of the equation, which a lot of people have moved to, is things like coconut oil if people are not uh, in relationships where they need to be using barrier methods. Um, and so then we have these other the three that I just mentioned and things like silicon-based lubricants, which are considered to be a little bit more neutral, 
you can't utilize those if you're using silicon-based sex toys because they'll degrade the sex toy and then they'll make the toy an area where microbes can hide out and become a source of reinfection. Oh my god, this is actually really complicated. <laughs> it is really complicated. So um, we, I don't want to pop names out there because one of the things that happens is that it depends on what that person's doing. You know, if they're participating in anal sex and the lubricant requirement changes, um, but certainly to obviously change. Uh, condoms between anal and vaginal sex is also really important as well because again we've got this translocation or the movement of microbes from one site to another which becomes risky um so there are some great natural lubricants on the market um that i have clinically found to be good did you want me to mention some names? I mean, I'm hesitant yeah, uh, to do a lot. But it's, you, you're totally welcome to name names. I mean, this isn't a okay. sponsored podcast, but I'm sure the companies will be happy. <laughs> okay. So um, the S-Liquid Organics uh, does a range of different lubricants. They're available online um, and they tend to provide the data on things like pH, for example, which is important. And they have a range of different um, water-based and silicon-based lubricants. So they are applicable to a pretty wide range. There's also an Australian brand called Yes, which is, um, seems to have be okay to use clinically in that it doesn't cause flares in people. And then there are other more familiar ones that, um, like the Silk, which is a kiwi fruit-based lubricants just being re-released i haven't had the pleasure of retrialing the silk since it's been re-released so i don't know whether it has the same effect as it used to but it used to be quite a good one in that it didn't disrupt the environment either yeah awesome okay yeah and like any good google search you'll find all of those online with online stores so easy peasy yeah yeah all right let's bust through some myths because I, mm-hmm. I, I think I know what you're going to say to some of these, but I came across some pretty common home treatments for, you know, for infections and thrush. All right. So first one, you ready? Yeah. Put putting yogurt up there for thrush, yay or nay? Uh, yay, if it is a plain yogurt, <laughs> it's not a fruit flavoured one. Um because those are the, the, the colonies that we need. So the, the research, there is some research on using yogurt as a pessary, so inserting it in the vagina on a tampon or syringing it in, and it introduces that beneficial lactobacilli bacteria. Um, sometimes you need a, a bigger intervention than that, but certainly a lot of people find that that does work for them. And there's a famous article uh, on the internet where somebody made yogurt from their vaginal microbes. <gasps> no, they did. Yes. They did not. <laughs> I don't know if they ate it. It was just an experiment to see whether you could because it's the lactobacilli and, and those lactobacilli have the ability to lactobacilli. <laughs> what so yogurt is. got too much time on their hands. Oh, my God. (laughs) Sorry. Serious face back on. Continue. (laughs) Um, So I would say, yes, you can do that. Um, But if your symptoms are persisting, then go and seek alternate interventions um, for that because it does work, particularly for thrush. It can work. Um, If the thrush is quite mild, it can just switch you back to lactobacilli dominance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Glad we glad we went through that one. Uh, all right. This is another common one. Uh, diluted essential oils and or tea tree oil. Um, again, there is, uh, people have done research on this. I tend to recommend no. There is some 
a research efficacy shown for things like tea tree oil against certain microbes. The issue that we have with essential oils in any site where there's a microbiome is that they're not necessarily selective for only bad bacteria. So you run the risk of possibly killing off some of the good bacteria that's there trying to do its job as well. So, um, you know, maybe as a once-off again and if your colony recovers, your lactobacillus colony recovers, that, that's a good intervention. But if you're finding you're having to use it prolonged, I would again go for a different intervention. Yeah. And you would need to dilute it a hell of a lot, wouldn't you? Because otherwise it would burn. Yes. And then diluting essential oils, obviously, because they're oil-based, requires a whole lot of other skill sets as well. Yeah. 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 It doesn't happen in water people. It happens in what, like a carrier oil, all those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Coconut oil down there. You know, it's always touted as the answer to everything. Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned when I was talking about lubricants, coconut oil um, is a common choice in people who are more holistically inclined to be their lubricant um, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing what they do find with that as a lubricant is if the environment is already at risk of imbalance or it's already what they call dysbiotic or you know disordered um, that coconut oil because it hangs around and can line and coat a little bit can actually contribute to that in the long run but coconut oil is touted as being good down there because it has antifungal properties. So if you're looking at chronic thrush, which is a fungus, then it can have some benefit in that area. It's probably not enough for me to recommend it ongoing. Um, yeah, cool. All right. Diluted apple cider vinegar. Yeah, um, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we're going through the whole pantry, aren't we, really? <laughs> we are. And there are a lot of really great kitchen cupboard cures for this area. Mm. Um, so one of the things about the vaginal microenvironment is you have these lactobacilli, which are the bacteria that need to be there, and they contribute to maintaining the acidic range of the vagina. So when the acidic range drops, then we see other bacteria able to take over and thrive and, and where they normally shouldn't. So sometimes introducing an, an acid to shift the acidic tea back to acid, essentially, um, you can help to re-establish balance. So the issue we see with apple cider vinegar, and I have used it clinically, is that you need to use it as a douche. It needs to be diluted appropriately. And again, you need to consider the fact that you might need to introduce some sort of intervention that um, helps those bacteria regain their foothold essentially the, the beneficial bacteria so as an intervention it will make symptoms disappear um, um, but again you, it's not the only thing you should be doing otherwise you will find in a month you'll have the same issue back again because it just shifts the ph enough for your body to sort of get on top of it in a little bit yeah yeah that's good advice okay uh next one <laughs> this is good <laughs> we've been through the whole pantry now uh nylon undies are they really that bad and does that include active wear yeah yes and yes um <gasps> so i know and 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 this is the thing i mean how much active wear is out there um so the the thing with synthetic fibers um is that they don't create a breathable space and fungus particularly, like candida, loves a moist environment. Sorry for saying that word. Um, and 
<laughs> and so, we nearly got through the whole interview without you doing that. I just want you to know we were nearly there. <laughs> so they they love that type of environment, and that will if again if you've got a colony that is there and and not doing that well and is on the verge all the time of turning into symptoms, then being in synthetics will put you at a higher risk. So you know there's all of these hygiene recommendations around, particularly thrush, and one of them is make sure that you have clean, dry underwear, that they are cotton or natural fibre. So bam- bamboo is really great in this um, sort of circumstance. Um, so even though the sexy lingerie looks fantastic, practically if, if you're at risk of infections, then it's it's not going to be great for you to wear every day. Oh, my God. All those people in activewear. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's the wicking of wicking of the moisture. So sometimes in in clinic, I'll recommend people go and buy the period underwear, which you can have for um, you know, say for hot yoga, for example, is quite problematic. Um, so they can use that and uh, wicks it away and keeps that area in a little bit of a better place while you're exercising. Nice. All right. Cool. Glad I asked. Um, well, so while we're on the topic of all this myth busting, what other doozies have you heard out there? Um, well, gosh, there's a whole lot of um, interesting things out there. Uh, and you, when you were saying before, there's not a lot on the internet. There is if you go delving into forums, which is where some of the scary stuff appears. Um, uh, the, I mean, garlic is quite a traditional remedy, inserted garlic. And again, it does work. Um, but there are some caveats around it in that it can burn a little bit. Again, if you're having to use it every month, then you're actually killing off more than you are re-establishing. So whole cloves of garlic I'm talking about, but people mm. will insert them so <laughs> um, and then not reuse them for dinner. Um, so, <laughs> so those sort of things um, are out there. And, you know, there certainly is evidence for some of the other things that you see being recommended out there, like vitamin C in the vagina. Um, has some clinical efficacy particularly in bacterial vaginosis but it depends on the type of vitamin c and how it's released so you don't yeah, isn't it too acidic well that's the idea you want it to oh. be acidic. Oh. but um but you don't want to you know an epivescency going up there or uh, <laughs> anything like that that's going <laughs> to cause more irritation um so those sort of things you generally need to buy from pharmacies compounding pharmacies because they make them to the specific formula which is the researched formula yeah nice any other any others you've come across oh there's the old um probiotic capsule yeah so the probiotic capsule is actually a really great intervention if it's a got a lot of lactobacilli strains and that's where a lot of the research in the treatment of these issues actually is is using bacteria um, inserted vaginally but also orally to address these symptoms and um, having really great results, even if you're using them in conjunction with the treatment from the pharmacist from the do- and from the doctor, actually tend to get better periods of without symptom reoccurrence um, if you're using them because you're actually replenishing the bacteria, which is the whole issue in the first place is that you've lost that bacteria that's protecting you, which is the lactobacilli bacteria. Yeah, and, and like any, you know, microbiome stuff, whether it's gut, whether it's this, like there's always that period where you have to keep putting the good bacteria in and keep putting it in because it, ta- it can take a little while for them to actually stick around, can't it? 
It, it certainly can. I mean, you need to, obviously, no one wants to be on taking or inserting bacteria forever. <laughs> um, so you need to look at ways that you can actually support that colony. And, and the best tools we have for doing that are actually diet um, because some of this bacteria that we find in the vagina is derived from the digestive system, from the gut, and it moves from the rectum to the vagina. And interestingly, it moves from the vagina to the urinary tract as well. So the vaginal microbiome is involved in a lot of those urinary issues that we see. Um, so if you're eating the right diet to make bacteria thrive in the digestive system, so generally a diet in, with a high amount of, um, of fruit and vegetables and plant-based fibres, then you're actually going to be supporting those bacterial colonies in all the other places in your body as well. Yeah, and a diet high in processed food and sugar, well, we all know what that's going to do as well, don't we? Definitely, not good. Yeah. Okay, so once someone's got their diagnosis from their GP and they know that they've got recurrent thrush or they've got some sort of bacterial infection, what can you as a naturopath do to help them? What's your course of action? So my course of action um, involves assessing all of the different influencing factors which contribute to the fact that you're getting this recurrently. Um, so, you know, that means for me that some of those questions we talked about in terms of the sexual habits and everything that goes on there, I actually question around and, and I can do that via um, a questionnaire. So there's an intake questionnaire because some of that is a bit taboo for some people. Um, and then we go through what comes up on that questionnaire. Um, and then also looking at the other systems in the body because we know that, you know, there are certain metabolic issues in terms of diabetes and um, obesity that can put them more at risk. There's risks associated with things like smoking that need to be dealt with and addressed as well. So you're essentially looking at that person and everything that's going on in their body to find the keys that you need to turn to change the way their body's actually falling into this habit of having the same symptoms all the time. And then you can address also the infection locally, either um, in combination with any pharmaceuticals that they're using or if there are um, you know, interventions that you can trial that have research behind them that will also help locally for that local vaginal environment why the more sort of system-based stuff is taking place. Yeah, and I love that. It's such a great reminder about what we do as naturopaths that we, you know, we wouldn't just say to someone, here's the thing for your thrush or here's the thing for your bacterial infection. We're always looking for the cause of, you know, why you're getting that recurrent thrush or why you're getting those infections in the first place. And it's just that great reminder that we don't just treat symptoms, we look after the whole person and we keep digging until we find out why they're more susceptible to those problems. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, it's just symptomatic and anyone can do that. Yeah. You know, that's going to get somebody to a place where they can forget about their vagina essentially because otherwise there's this micro-focus on it where everything that they do in a day is around trying to not throw their vagina out of balance. Oh, and my God. And, and you know what it's like? like? You know if someone's talking about head lice, your head starts itching? right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like if you're, if you're on the lookout for thrush, if you've got problems with recurrent thrush and you're just like waiting for that next itch, like, yeah, you, you're going to be so focused on what's going on down there and you're going to be like every little tingle, you'll be like, oh my God, is that it again? Is that it again? So yeah, definitely, it, 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 you know, becomes the driver of choices that you make in your life. It really, it should be something that you don't even think about. Yeah. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Working with women so that they actually forget their vaginas. I like that. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right, my love, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show today and for being so open and so able to answer these tough questions. Now, if someone's been listening to you and they want to know more or they want to connect with you, where's the best place for them to find you? Okay, so um, I work on the Gold Coast and I have a private practice, but I do see some clients via Skype as well. So that particular service is called Intimate Ecology. At the moment, the website is probably about a week away from launching, but you can find it. That means it'll be out by the time we go live. Okay, (laughs) all right. So (laughs) so the website is www.intimate.com ecology e-c-o-l-o-g-y dot com dot au or you can find me on facebook as well um and then we can touch base that way and look at booking you in for an appointment or helping you direct you to somebody local if you wanted to see somebody in person and you also do a little bit of practitioner stuff as well don't you Uh, definitely so i have a um practitioner training program so helping other practitioners upskill because i'm pretty sure i wasn't the only one that missed out on all of this important vagina stuff in unit in university so um, there's a practitioner facebook group called the intimate ecology group which they can request to join um, and there's a training program which they can get in contact with me via my website over and ask to enroll in yeah and i i've got to say i'm in that group and your facebook lives are amazing so if there's any practitioners out there listening make sure you join that group it's super super valuable great thank you very much Myra, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope that all of this helps listeners to become more open in and able to talk about it amongst their own family and friends as well. Yeah, me too. That's my hope. Everybody has a healthy vagina and they forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Well, that conversation was a lot of fun. I know I learned a lot, so I hope you enjoyed listening to it and got something out of it too. If you like this episode, make sure you hit subscribe because this is a three-part sexual health series and I can tell you there's another awesome interview coming up next week. I can't give too much away, but let's just say if your sex drive or your sex life needs a bit of a lift, the next episode is for you. If you'd like to see more about what I do, head over to my website at julesgalloway.com. When I'm not talking about all things vag health, I'm actually a naturopath working with tired and worn out women, adrenal fatigue, pyrrole disorder, autoimmunity, and complex cases. There's a free gift on my website to help you to gain more energy and get started with healing your adrenals. So head over to julesgalloway.com right now and grab that. Okay, that's all from me for the time being. See you in a fortnight. Stay shiny and bye for now. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. For those of you on your own health journey, you know that a lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, and you think you're doing well and then something else pops up it's like um, always you're always learning it's just a it's not something that just happens overnight and suddenly you're well if I actually had been so wrong about this really important thing in my life what else was I wrong about and it got me down this uh, this place of questioning all the concepts that I had and then I came to one question which was who am I beyond concept when I was a little kid I really always had trouble with food intolerances I realized that there was a lot to be said for the way you eat. You come to the same place that I came to, and it's a place of complete freedom. Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. 
bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.